Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat shalom. Uh, before we start our message today, we have a, an opening uh, introductory song, so we ask the YouTube people to cue that for us. Well, as you can tell, we're in a series on the marriage of the family. Uh, today's message is Leading in Love, so I hope that song was a, was a good intro. Uh, today's part three, and today I want us to look at the biblical responsibilities of a godly husband. And I know that I myself am not there yet, uh, to living up uh, to the standard. Uh, but my prayer is this. More today and yesterday, and more tomorrow than today. Amen. Let's look at Ephesians 5, uh, beginning at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Messiah also loved the holy congregation, his bride, and gave himself up for her, so that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water of the word, he might present to himself his bride. In all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. This is Messiah also does the holy congregation, his bride, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Messiah and the congregation. Nonetheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife as himself, and the wife is to see to it that she respects her husband. Amen. This passage lays out the biblical roles and responsibilities of a godly husband. And I want to encourage you parents who are here today and hearing my voice to be training your sons now for this future role as husbands-to-be. And one very practical way you can start to do this now is to train your sons on how to treat their sisters. Let them learn and practice how to treat a woman by training them how to treat their sister. I remember, for example, growing up, uh, the time I was five or six years old, I was shown how to pull out a chair at the kitchen table or at a restaurant uh, for my mother or my sister. How to open a door at the store or open the car door for them. And how to let them in the elevator first and let them off the elevator first. And how to, how to have them walk with me down the road with me next to the curb. Why? To protect them from a car splashing up water on the street onto them. These were just basic manners my father taught me. Also, how to speak to a woman or a girl with courtesy and respect. And when we come up to the breakfast or the lunch or the dinner table, to not sit down until all the ladies were seated first. You young men to be practicing and learning all these things now, which used to be years ago just common manners for how to treat a woman with honor and respect. And this isn't just for the benefit of you guys, by the way. 
It's also to help train your sisters whom you're doing this for. I want you to train your sisters so well, young men, uh, on how they should expect to be treated that no loser will ever have a chance with them. <laughs> and I have a chance with any of the young women here at that time. <laughs> young men, that's your job in your family. To set a high bar to protect your sisters. It's my prayer for each of you young women here at uh, uh, time is that any man who doesn't rise to this basic level of chivalry and manners that your brothers have shown you all their lives, that he won't even register on your radar screen. So let's look now at Ephesians 5 uh, and see the godly roles and responsibilities of a husband that you young men should be aspiring to fulfill. Uh, and what you young women should be looking for in a husband as being kind of ground floor requirements. And you fathers of young women, if a potential suitor does not meet these requirements, chase him away. <laughs> Don't let him get near your daughters. Let's look at the first verse, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. This is Messiah also loved the holy congregation, his bride, and gave himself up for her. So first, as we discussed last time if you were here, a husband must be a man who leads in love. As we discussed last time, true biblical love is not the Greco-Roman myth of romantic love as some kind of non-volitional, uh, uncontrollable force that, that we're at the mercy of, at the mercy of whoever, whomever Cupid happens to strike with this arrow. No. But instead, do you remember the, the, the definition of biblical love that we came up with last time? Let's put it on the overhead again. Love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. Again, love is an act of the will. It's not some uncontrollable force, but it's an act of the will. It's not led by emotion, but it is accompanied by emotion. And that leads to action on behalf of its object. That's the kind of love in which a husband or a potential future husband must be able to lead. Not the Greco-Roman myth, but this biblical idea of love, love that leads with the will. That's a choice. That's neither led by emotion nor void of emotion. And that demonstrates itself by actions on behalf of its object. We talked about all this last week. Uh, uh, and, and so I encourage you to get the YouTube video if you were not here last week and did not hear it. Uh, so that's step number one. And we'll put this on the overhead. A young woman, a potential future husband, must be a man who leads in biblical, self-sacrificial, servant love. Even as Messiah laid down his life for his bride. Now, as we also discussed last week, as Yeshua followers, we are absolutely forbidden from marrying unbelievers. Forbidden! Our potential spouse must be a true, born-again, blood-bought, spirit-empowered, committed follower of Yeshua to even get to first base. Uh, the Bible could not be more clear on this issue. And therefore, we also must not even get ourselves into situations uh, where we would get potentially emotionally involved and then therefore compromise ourselves in this regard. This is not even an option. It's black and white in the scriptures. It's clear as day. 
Secondly, on the, on the overhead, uh, not only must a potential husband be a man who leads in biblical love, but also must, must be a man who leads in the word. Look at the next part of our passage, Ephesians 5.26. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water of the word. Husbands, love your wives as Messiah loved his bride, having set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing with water of the word. So a potential husband must be a man who leads in the word. In other words, young women, hear me well, if this guy isn't a man who can disciple and mentor you in the scriptures, he is not worthy biblically of being your husband. So don't stop at his basic standard that, that he simply has to be a believer. No. That's just that's ground zero. And when I say ground zero, I don't mean some guy who, who was really baptized years ago uh, and went to church as a kid or who even repeated a prayer many years ago but never grew or pursued the Lord or showed any signs of real conversion, real regeneration. But I mean a truly born again, sold out Yeshua follower who's walking with the Lord and exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, and who can lead his wife and his children in prayer and the Word, and, and then be a spiritual covering and head of his household. So young women, I want you to ask yourselves today, can this guy disciple and mentor me in the Word of God? Can he lead our future children in worshiping and following the Lord, and training them up in the way they should go? That's a, another whole standard than merely being some kind of nominal believer. Is he equipped to wash me and our future family with the water of the word? Is he a man of the word? Ephesians 6, 1-4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. That may go well with you. You may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Note this last verse here, verse 4, where it says, the fathers are the ones who are to raise their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's a father's responsibility to teach their children the gospel and how to trust in the Lord and to live and act with godly behavior and godly lifestyle and character traits. Therefore, a father must be someone who's equipped to mentor and disciple his future children. Young men, ask yourselves, am I equipped? Can I disciple others? Young women, when you read these verses, do you see what you're doing to the spiritual health of your future family when you pursue a man who's not equipped to lead in biblical self-sacrificial love? or to lead in the word, or God forbid is not even a believer. Do you see this? Young women, when you see the bare bones, minimum biblical requirements for a godly husband, to lead in biblical love, laying down his life for you and the children, as Yeshua laid down his life for us, and to lead in the word, teaching and discipling and mentoring you and the children as the priest and prophet of his home. If he's not capable of mentoring and discipling you and your future children. And if you nonetheless pursue him, you have just compromised the very foundation upon which your marriage and your family are to be built. You're cutting off the very branch you're sitting upon. Do you see this? 
Remember the two biblical purposes of marriage we talked about last time? Uh, in the overhead, uh, number one, procreation, having children and, and raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And number two, illustration. Our marriages are to be a model of the relationship between Messiah and his bride. Again, procreation is not just about bringing children into the world, but also training and discipling and shaping and disciplining and mentoring them so that they grow up and are capable of walking with God on their own and leading others to the Lord and in turn discipling them. If we understand this big picture, it changes everything and especially changes who we look for in a mate. So ladies, if you just want someone who looks good, and someone who makes you feel good when you're in his arms, and you ignore these basic biblical requirements, in the long run, you will bitterly regret the choices you've made. You will. You don't, you don't know how many women come, to, come for prayer because their husband is not the spiritual leader in his home uh, that he should be. Do not make the same mistake. And nine times out of ten, these women, deep down, knew it before they got married. But because they believed in this Greco-Roman myth of romantic love, and because they believed that love was just some kind of overwhelming, uncontrollable force, here's what they assumed. They assumed, well... If God lets me fall in love with this guy, then God must be telling me he's going to turn this man into some kind of supernatural spiritual giant someday in the future. So so I'll marry this guy based on this Greco-Roman myth of romantic love and the overwhelming feeling that I have, trusting that God wouldn't have given me these feelings for this man if he wasn't eventually going to turn him into a biblically qualified and equipped husband. Let me ask you, is that your final answer? <laughs> if it is, help you, because it's totally backwards. It's putting the cart before the horse. He must be biblically qualified uh, to lead in self-sacrificial Messiah-like love and lead in prayer and the word before you can even consider him as a potential husband. That his role and responsibility that is his role as and responsibility as the husband and the father. Men, we who are husbands and fathers, this is our incredibly important responsibility before the Lord. Do not neglect it. Prioritize it. Don't let time just tick away. Spend quality time several times a week, if not daily, in worship and prayer and the Word with your wife and children. Teach them the Bible. You are the main one, husbands, fathers, in charge of discipling them. And you will be held accountable. All you husbands and fathers, let's continue to ask ourselves, how am I doing in this? My primary responsibility before God. Have I been pouring into my wife and my children, biblically, what the Lord calls me to pour into them? Though, of course, the husbands and the wives, they partner together in discipling and mentoring their children. Yes. But God has given the husbands and the fathers headship and primary responsibility here. Which means, husbands and fathers, the buck stops with you. 
The Lord is going to hold you as the primary one responsible for mentoring and discipling and spending quality time with your children. Men, this is weighty. This is huge. And young women, please realize what this means. To be biblically qualified, put this on the overhead, your future husband, as number one, must be a strong Yeshua follower, totally committed to the Lord, dying to self, uh, leading in self-sacrificial love, and number two, able to lead his household in the Word of God. Young men, young men, you must be a man of God who leads in the Word, who can teach his family the Bible, who can model its precepts. And you fathers of young women, it's your responsibility as much as within your power to see to it that your daughters end up with men who are biblically qualified. You fathers of daughters are the gatekeepers. You know, in the, in the classic wedding ceremony, you know what the symbol of all this is? It's the phrase, who gives this woman to this man? Do you know what we're actually saying here? Biblically, what the father is saying uh, on his daughter's wedding day, he's saying this, this young woman has been my responsibility all these years. It's been my job to protect her spiritually, physically, and emotionally. It's been my job to train her, mentor her, disciple her, to protect her purity, to protect her virginity, and I'm standing here at the altar today telling you who are about to marry her that I've done that with every fiber of my being. And by placing her hand in yours, I'm now saying this job now belongs to you as her husband. That's what this part of the wedding ceremony means. Now what kind of man would I be to give my daughter away to a man who doesn't even meet these two basic requirements of leading with Messiah-like love and leading in the Word. Uh, how irresponsible would it be for me as a father, uh, or for any of you who are fathers, to do that? A biblically qualified husband, according to Ephesians 5, must, number one, be one who leads with Messiah-like love. Number two, uh, leads in the Word. And thirdly, on the overhead, number three, he must also lead in righteousness. Ephesians 5, 27, next verse. That he might present her to himself, uh, the holy, he might present to himself the holy congregation, his bride, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Yeshua loved us, his people, his followers, his bride, so much that he provided for our righteousness. So that he could present to himself a bride who is righteous. In the same way, just as husbands must love their wives, life, their wives as Messiah loved his people, husbands also must be a husband also must be a man who leads in righteousness. Men, we must be men who lead in righteousness. We must be, uh, and then we must demonstrate that we're willing to do everything in our power as well to preserve the righteousness of our wives and our daughters. Single men, you must do everything in your power to protect the righteousness of any woman that you may date or court. Single women, 
That's the kind of man you are looking for. You're not looking for a man who acts as an octopus, <laughs> can't keep his hands to himself. You're not looking for a man who has no self-control, who is not interested in guarding and protecting both your purity and his own. Instead, you're looking for a man who says, you know, it's not a good idea for us to be alone in private. That's the kind of a godly man you're looking for who leads in righteousness. Ladies, you're looking for a man who goes out of his way to make sure your purity and reputation is preserved and protected. A man who leads in righteousness. And let me give you this, this line, if you really love me, we take this thing to the next level. Run as fast as you can. <laughs> and you fathers, it's time to start cleaning that shotgun. <laughs> Ladies, when a man asks you to compromise yourself, he is not the man for you. And typically, that's not even the type of woman he's actually looking for, to marry. His motives are impure, and he's using you. He's using you to satisfy his needs, and thus, ironically, making you the kind of woman he doesn't even want to marry in the long run. Because he is looking for a woman to walk down the aisle in a white dress, not a red one. Ladies, don't get near any man who would want to dishonor you. You are better than that. You are far better. Instead, you're looking for, oh, for, for all of you, what you're looking for, you single women, is a man who says, I want to protect and guard uh, your, your honor and virtue and reputation above all else. And avoid even the appearance of any impropriety, avoid even the hint of, of anything inappropriate. And so he says something like this. We're never going to be alone in a private place together. We're going to spend time together only in public or uh, with a chaperone or a family member. So go ask your mama to go on a date with us. <laughs> That's the kind of man you want. Because you want a man who desires for you to be pure. And the other kind of man is completely disqualified. Because he's, he selfishly wants the benefits of marriage without being willing to first enter into the covenant of marriage and the responsibility of marriage. No, run as fast as you can. Instead, ladies, what you want is someone who says, I commit myself to you legally in marriage before God and before the government and family and friends, and I pledge myself to you, body and soul, from this day forth until they put me in the ground. So husbands, number one, after leading love, the overhead, Yeshua like self-sacrificial love, number two, leading the word, number three, leading righteousness. Now, we live uh, in a sexually charged culture, a pagan culture, where immorality is the norm. Uh, and this immoral norm is regularly uh, portrayed in almost every primetime TV show and Hollywood movie nowadays. And it's taught and promoted behind the parents' backs uh, in our public schools and universities. And everything is backwards now. So, for example, a young woman will sleep with a guy for months and then tell her girlfriend, I think I may be in love. And then they say, well, do you think you're ready for that? I mean, what is this? Completely backwards. This is our messed up culture today. First Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. 
Every other sin a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. But don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Who you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Sex is kind of like fire. You put fire in a fireplace and it warms the whole room. But if you let it out of the fireplace, it consumes and destroys everything in its path. So therefore, it must be kept within its proper context. And biblically, the only proper context for sexuality is marriage. Let's look again at our text. This is talking about the Messiah, our heavenly husband. But it also applies to us men as earthly husbands as well. So look at verse 27, Ephesians 5, 27. That he might present to himself the holy congregation, his bride, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and blameless. That's the picture of a wife that we husbands are called to present to the Lord. And ladies, that's the kind of man you are looking for. A man who desires you to be holy and righteous, does everything he can to lead you in this regard. Let's look at the fourth characteristic. Uh, next verse, Ephesians 5.28. So husbands ought to love their, uh, love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. This is what Messiah does the holy congregation, his bride, because we're members of his body. So, on the overhead, a biblical husband that's number one, lead in love, number two, lead in the word, number three, lead in righteousness, and now number four, lead in selflessness. On the overhead, he must be a man who leads in selflessness. He must be a man who knows what it means to put others before himself. You know, by nature, we're selfish, right? Uh, and self-centered. All of us. And we're spoiled and pampered compared to how the rest of the world lives. But in marriage, you're now confronted with the reality of laying down your life for somebody else. Which is one of the most difficult things you will ever be called to do. Marriage forces you to die to self. And to live for and prefer and serve and minister to another. Marriage, therefore, stretches you. And it shows up your pride and, and selfishness. But if you let it, it also refines you and purifies you and molds you and shapes you and matures you in the Lord. Matures you. It forces you to put all your theological theory into actual practice. That's probably why the scriptures look to married men as the primary leaders in a congregation. Because marriage tests and proves and refines you like nothing else. So husbands and fathers, let's put our families first. And let one of our prayers be, Lord, if anyone in my house ever has to go without something, I'm first. If anyone in my home ever has to sacrifice anything, I'm first. Let me put their needs ahead of my own. If anyone in my house ever has to endure or, or suffer anything, I'm first. That's what it means to lead in selflessness. That's what it means to put others ahead of yourself. And then, if you do this, 
Hear me well now, man. If you do this, your wives will have no problem submitting to that kind of other-oriented, self-sacrificial, selfless leader. Trust me. So, man, look for things you can do, even small things, like opening the door for her, uh, pulling out her chair at a restaurant, doing your chores without having to be asked. I'm guilty of that. <laughs> uh, changing the baby's diaper. Small things to tell her. Honey, I put you first. I want to meet your needs uh, and lead our home with Messiah-like selflessness. Fathers with young sons, teach them chivalry. Teach them service and servanthood and hard work. Teach them the virtue of labor. Teach them how to properly treat women. Teach them how to be gentlemen with the opposite sex. And deep down, this is what women both want and need. You know, because feminism has sold us this bill of goods. And it's warped our whole culture. And feminism has made men scared to be men. It's, it's neutered men. But it's about time for us to stand up for biblical values and not be intimidated or influenced by radical feminism, which at bottom hates men, hates real men, and even hates women who dare to stand up for biblical values. Men, learn to lead in selflessness. Treat women as they deserve to be treated, as God's precious daughters. Nurture them. Honor them. Bless them. Care for them. Protect them. When they're with you, they should feel incredibly valued and protected and cared for. And again, you husbands, this will take care of 95% of any submission issues because what kind of woman wouldn't want to submit to a man like that? A man who leads in love and the word and righteousness and selflessness. And single women... He's more interested in what he can take from you than what he can give to you. That's not the kind of man who leads in selflessness. If he doesn't treat you as a precious jewel, he's probably not God's best for you. Because ladies, what you're looking for biblically is a man who nourishes and cherishes you. Just to see what is all flesh. In fact, that's exactly what the text says. Look at the text again, Ephesians 5.28. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but does what? Nourishes and cherishes it. Men, God is the one who created women. He knows exactly what they need and exactly what they respond to. As the text says, we are to love and nurture and cherish them as our own bodies. Because this Messiah loves and nurtures and cherishes his holy congregation, his bride, his body. So men, here's what we're to be. The scriptures say that we're, we're to be anything that women respond to. Which leads to our final point, within the final verse, Ephesians 5.31. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. On the overhand, husbands are to lead in number one, love. Number two, lead in the word. Number three, lead in righteousness. Number four, lead in selflessness. And finally, number five, lead in intimacy. The two will become one flesh. 
that because of our centralized culture we were raised in, most men, when they hear the word intimacy, what do they think of? They think of a three-letter word that begins with S and ends with X. <laughs> Let me define intimacy for you a little bit differently on the overhead. Intimacy happens when I let someone into a part of my life that's not readily available to everybody else. Intimacy is when I let someone into a part of my life that's not readily available to everybody else. By the way, do you know where and when affairs start? Affairs don't begin when you're in bed with someone who's not your spouse. Affairs begin when a married man or woman begins to share things with someone of the opposite sex who's not their husband and their wife that they don't readily share with everybody else. For example, did you ever see the famous movie uh, Finding Neverland? It's about the author of Peter Pan, uh, I Am Barry, and his relationship with the family uh, that helped inspire him to write the famous book Peter Pan. Starred, the movie starred Johnny Depp and Kate Winslet. It's nominated for Best Picture in 2004. It was a great movie. On the surface, it was all about this guy who wrote Peter Pan. But on another subliminal level, without ever actually stating it, that movie was about adultery. That movie was about a man who was in the wrong place at the wrong time and befriended a widow and her young sons and spent an inordinate, inappropriate amount of time with them. And inappropriately was in their home when he should not have been. And at one point in the movie, he tells uh, this powerful story to, to her from his childhood. And then he says to this widow these words. I've never told anyone this before. And with those words, he just committed adultery in his heart. And now it's only a matter of time before it gets physical. Because he just said to her, in essence, I'm yours emotionally. You have access to all of me including my innermost secrets. You have access to places in me that no one else has access to. That, folks, is the definition of intimacy. And it should not be shared with a member of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. But by the way, with your spouse, men, this is something that biblically we are called to lead in. We're called to lead in biblical intimacy. And one of the ways we're called to lead in that is by creating a hedge of protection around the marriage relationship that says, this relationship is the number one priority of all the human relationships in my life. Your spouse must be number one after the Lord. That's part of what it means, man, to lead in intimacy as a husband. If you put these five things together on the overhead, leading in love, in the word, in righteousness, in selflessness, in intimacy, you then begin to get a picture of a biblical husband. Man, these are the responsibilities and the character traits that the Lord calls us to if we're to be a godly husband and a godly father. And then the overhead. When you have a man leading this way, what you have ultimately is a picture of Messiah and his bride. Last verse, Ephesians 5.32. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to the Messiah and the Holy Congregation, his bride. This goes back to one of the two primary purposes of marriage. Number one was procreation. Number two was illustration. 
This verse is the essence of the second purpose. Illustration. Our marriages are to be a picture of the relationship between Messiah and his followers, his bride. And when our marriages work well, it is a great witness and testimony to a lost and dying world of the relationship between Yeshua and those who are committed their lives to him, his bride. I was talking to a Messianic leader a while back. His little son was with him. Uh, I asked the little boy, what do you want to be when you grow up? Policeman? Fireman? A rabbi like your dad? He kind of thought for a moment. Then he said, when I grow up, I want to be a husband and a father. And without realizing it, he could not have paid his dad a greater compliment. For in that boy's eyes, his dad was modeling what a marriage should be. An illustration of the relationship between Messiah and his holy congregation. Now I know, painfully, all too well, that I do not meet this standard. Uh, I don't do this perfectly. Far from it. But again, my prayer is better today than yesterday. And better tomorrow than today. Because men, the last thing we want for our children is to read the scriptures where it says God's our father and for our kids to say, don't like that word. Instead, men, that our prayer be for our children to read that verse and somewhere deep within the recesses of their soul for them to say, that's good. That's good. Men, that our prayer be that we would love our wives with godly, Messiah-like love. That we would serve our wives. That we would nurture and cherish our wives. That we would lay down our lives for our wives. Even as Messiah did for us, for his bride. And man, let us do it in such a way that others would look at us and say, That's good. That's good. That looks like what Messiah did for his bride. Of course, we can't do this on our own strength. But look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man's in Messiah, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Man, if you hear all this today and you say, I'm not there yet, you're in a good place because none of us are there. But here's the deal. Now you've got a game plan. Now you've got a biblical template. And then the overhead. And instead of focusing your life on trying to conquer the woman of your dreams, for us instead, let's try to become the man of hers. Because young man at a time, when you're transformed into this new man, in Messiah Yeshua, when you focus your life on trying to become the man who can lead uh, in love, and lead in the word, and lead in righteousness, and lead in selflessness, and lead in biblical intimacy, when you're in the word of God, you're being transformed uh, to the image of Messiah, and, and you're pursuing Yeshua likeness, so that you can become this man, this man who's worthy to have a wife, 
I believe that at the right time and in the right way and with the right person, God will give you this priceless gift of a godly, virtuous, excellent wife. God designed marriage to be an illustration of the relationship between Messiah and his bride, his holy congregation. And I believe that God delights in finding men who are pursuing this picture so that he can then say, yes, I can now trust you with a wife to be an illustration of the relationship between my son and his followers, his holy bride. And you single women, look for a godly man who can lead in these five areas. And young woman, that's kind. You must be willing to trust God enough that you won't compromise or settle for someone who does not meet these biblical criteria. Single women, the husband you're looking for must be a man who leads in love. He must be a man who leads in the word and leads in righteousness and leads in selflessness and leads in intimacy. Because these are the criteria that God has given us in his word for a godly husband. And these are the criteria God has given us to help make our marriages living, breathing examples, illustrations of the gospel. Picture the relationship between Messiah and his people, his bride. Not perfect. None of us do it perfectly. But by the grace of God, who takes our imperfect attempts and who use them to bring honor and glory to his name. And that is what marriages ultimately are all about. A biblical husband must lead in these five areas. Men, this is your homework. You are silent from God. Devote yourself to them. Single women, look for this in a potential mate. Married women, humbly and gently encourage your husband in these five areas. And applaud him when he does well. Now, man, we cannot be these things in and of ourselves. We must constantly lay down our lives at the feet of Yeshua and say, Lord, build these character traits in me as I submit my life more and more to you. Build them into me, leading in Messiah-like love, leading in the word, leading in righteousness, leading in selflessness, leading in biblical intimacy. More today than yesterday. More tomorrow than today. Amen. Amen. I stand and pray. Please keep it coming up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we come before you and we thank you today for these challenging uh, but crucial truths. How we are to be uh, a godly husband and to have a godly home. We know our first and most important ministry. It's for our own family, to disciple and mentor our wives and children, and raise our sons and daughters in your fear and your admonition, Lord. Lord, we know we can have the most impressive outside ministry, but if we neglect our own home and family, ultimately we are a failure. So Lord, help the single woman hearing my message to insist on these traits in a husband, and not to settle for anything less. And help both the single men and the husbands uh, to lead their, their current and their future households in Messiah-like love and then the word and righteousness in selflessness and in intimacy. Help the fathers of the young sons 
train their sons in these roles and responsibilities. Help the fathers of young daughters to insist on this in any potential suitor. And most of all, Lord, help our marriages be an illustration, to be a witness, to be a picture of the relationship between you, Lord Yeshua, and your people, your congregation, your bride. Just as you gave up your rights and your privileges and, uh, and humbled yourself and became a man and said, Father, not my will, but yours be done, and, and died for us, Lord Yeshua, help us likewise to die to ourselves. You take up our cross and to follow you. Uh, and, and for we uh, who are husbands, for us to lay down our lives for our wives, for us to lead our homes in self-sacrificial love, be the priest and prophet and provider and protector that you call us to be. For we pray this all in your holy name, the Shabbat Shalom. Amen. 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 Amen.